I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes Podcast. Coming up, I've got a great interview with Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, a band that was at the beginning of synth-pop and are still making great music today. They talk about the electronic revolution, the counter-revolution, and the triumph of electronic pop. But before we do that, I'd like to tell you about a new release from Haven Tone Records. It's Russell Sareth's Spiritual Odyssey. Russell Sareth creates a contemporary New Age music that chronicles a spiritual journey. Each song in the album takes a step on the trail from breaking free of constraints and boundaries to an arrival at a greater awareness of the universe and how it works. Lyrically uplifting vocals, electronic ambiences, and hand percussion create a soothing soundscape. Russell Surratt's Spiritual Odyssey is available from Amazon, iTunes, and other retailers. And now, let's hear Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. You're hearing Echoes, and I'm John DiLiberto. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark was a band at the leading edge of the electronic pop movement in the 1980s. Just behind acts like The Normal, Gary Newman, and Cabaret Voltaire, they brought electronic pop to the top of the charts. When they began, they thought they were part of a musical revolution. The core of the band is founding members Andy McCluskey and Paul Humphreys, and after a long hiatus, they've come back stronger than ever in an era where the revolution has been won. When Annie McCluskey and Paul Humphreys got together as high school friends in 1975, electronic music was still very new, and that's why they liked it. We were looking for an alternative to the rock music at the time, and a synthesizer was a new instrument. I mean, now we're used to it in popular music, but at that time, every sound that came out of a synthesizer was new and exciting. That's Andy McCluskey, the lead singer, guitarist, and bassist of the band. He and Paul Humphreys bonded over the music of Kraftwerk, the German electronic band who had just had a hit with Autobahn. OMD's Paul Humphreys. Kraftwerk looked and sounded like the future. It was new instruments, it was new music, and it was guys who were the antithesis of Anglo-American rock and roll. You know, there were no lead guitars, there were no flares, and there was there were suits and ties, but it, it just looked more modern. As kids, we worshipped Kraftwerk, and, uh, and, but, and, and I guess there was part of us that wanted to be Kraftwerk, but we soon realised that Kraftwerk had all this incredible technology because they were fairly wealthy to begin with. Uh, but we couldn't emulate Kraftwerk. We had to do our own thing. We didn't have access to any of the equipment, so we were just round his mum's back room on a Saturday afternoon when she was at work, and he was making things, or we were borrowing things, or we were just just trying to make noises. We were pretty abstract and ambient to begin with. Those experiments turn up in many of their songs as ambiences, musique concrète sound samples, text-to-speech voices, I- 
Found sound and ratchety noises. Andy McCluskey. Yeah, and, and also, you know, a lot of our hits, they, they started out as experiments. They just got mm. honed up and honed up. And, and, you know, the last thing we put on these experiments is usually a, a, a melody. But we, we, have, we have a sort of a knack of writing catchy melodies between the both of us. As Tony Wilson, the founder of Factory Records, had declared upon hearing their song Electricity, OMD sounded like the future of pop. Which we were deeply insulted by. I think we used an F word and said, no, we're experimental. (laughs) In fact, they thought they were in the vanguard of a music revolution that would sweep conventional guitar, bass, and drum rock bands aside. They also suffered the battle scars of anti-electronic sentiments at the time. I think we used to get called limey faggot music. That was the... um... (laughs) We really did. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was a constant battle using synthesizers for a while because, I mean, there was not an acceptance of it as as, as sort of real music. Unless it had a guitar and a drum kit, you know, it, it wasn't considered real music and synthesizer wasn't considered a, a real instrument you know they're not authentically manly and sweaty enough <laughs> no, <exactly. laughs> With the rise of MTV, OMD, and artists like Duran Duran, Gary Newman, Soft Cell, and Howard Jones were sweeping the charts in Europe and America. Electronic music became big enough in the U.S. that a concert with Depeche Mode, OMD, and Thomas Dolby sold out the Rose Bowl 30 years ago in 1988. They felt like they'd won the revolution. What was great about it was that there's so many people wanted to come and see these bands, who, these English bands that were playing electronic music in America, and uh, it di- did feel like we'd kind of we, we'd landed at that point. But then came the counter-revolution and grunge. We sort of bought into this uh, whole idea that, you know, electronic music would be the future and we would slay that rock dragon eventually. But, uh, but when we got into the 90s, electronic music wasn't the future anymore. Uh, uh, the sort of the rock music, the punk music, it was looking back to the 60s and 70s. And electronic music was, was consigned to the decade that had just gone. And, uh, and it was quite shocking to us that, that electronic music wasn't actually the future mm. at the time. May I have your attention, please? The future that you anticipated has been cancelled. Please remain seated and wait for further instructions. (laughs) 
Electronic music eventually did become the future with the rise of electronic dance music in the 21st century and pop hits that are often completely made in the electronic realm. After a 14-year hiatus that began in 1996, OMD returned just in time to be all current again. And their themes of technological alienation, dystopian visions, and cultural criticism have never been more sharply honed. It's something that goes back to their first single, Electricity. I think many of our songs actually um, have been essentially expressing the moral dilemma, a dichotomy of purpose and, and an ambivalence, because we recognise that technology brings many advances, but we also recognise that technology has drawbacks and implications and negative issues as well. The themes continue up to their latest album, The Punishment of Luxury. It's a sprawling work of electronically joyful music, couching songs like the title track that lambast consumer culture. Our, our use of the phrase punishment of luxury is essentially that most people in the Western world are materially better off than ever before, yet are, it would appear, less happy. Why? Because we've had decades of being brainwashed by clever marketing men who appeal to our darkest fears to make us believe that it doesn't matter if you've got food on the table or a roof over your head. Your TV needs to be bigger. The neighbours are talking about your car. Your kids hate you because they haven't got the latest Xbox. You should have no self-respect because you're not buying my product. Bands like MGMT, M83, Goldfrapp, and the entire synthwave movement, orchestral maneuvers in the dark have never been more relevant. Since returning in 2010 with the appropriately titled History of Modern, the band is looking back while moving forward. We have no intention of being a tribute act to ourselves. We decided that if we wanted to continue to be in orchestral maneuvers in the dark, that we wanted to make new music that was contemporary and relevant. But since we got back, I think we've really embraced our roots again. We've kind of really looked back to our, you know, what influenced us in the, in the very early days. And we've gone back to a very electronic sound. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark's latest recordings are The Punishment of Luxury and The Punishment of Luxury B-Sides and Bonus Material on White Noise Records. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Echoes podcast today. Go to echoes.org to find out more. I'm John DiLiberto. Be sure to keep an eye out for more Echoes interviews at echoes.org or the Echoes newsletter.